0: scary movies uh-huh i'm getting ready to watch a video you making popcorn uh-huh what's, what's what's your favorite uh i don't know you have to have a favorite talk to me talk talk to me hi everybody i'm george and welcome to the best little horror house in philly the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made According to our very special live guest, at least, and he's a Philly boy himself looking to cover the city in metal, or at least fans of the excellent shows Continue and Goosebuds. Please welcome my good friend Paul Ritchie. Hello. Yeah! Right, Paul. Hi, George. Hi, Paul. Very glad to have you here. Um, we just watched or experienced your pick for today mm-hmm. uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man, directed by Shinya Tsukamoto, and. This is one of those movies that sort of spreads virally, It's kind of reliant on curated word of mouth, even to this day, not just when it came out. You sort of have to be exposed to it by someone who was exposed to it by someone down the line of people knowing your taste and being able, being willing to risk the recommendation. And (laughs) we talked about this a little bit earlier because it is sort of a risk to recommend something so out there. Uh, to reveal a part of yourself that connects to boundary pushing art, which not everybody will react to in the same way. So now, having bared our souls with this as our pick for best horror movie ever made, uh, I guess my first question is: Do you remember how you were first exposed to the Metal Madness?
1: I do. Uh, I was in a film class, and I said to my teacher that I liked editing, and he's like, "Well, check this out," <laughs> and he had he gave me this disc, and I was like. All right, man. And then Here's I went some editing for you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, and that's how I got into it. That's a perfect intro into
0: it because it is so technically incredible in yeah. so many ways that if you're coming to it in that way and, and sort of absorbing all of the little details in addition to letting the story wash over you, I think that's a great way to sort of experience it for the first time for mm-hmm. sure.
1: Yeah.
0: So let's talk about Shinya Tsukamoto, who quit his advertising job to focus on movie making, a.k.a. the damn dream. Mm -hmm. Got kicked out of his house. That's right. His parents, uh, they did kick him out, but he was committed to his craft. And this actually does play into a theme of his that I love, more often explored through the women in his movies, but definitely something that a variety of the roles explore, which is the agency to pick something that's not in your best interest. Mm. And I think that that does connect to his own... Going into movie making and saying, you know what, the sturdy job, the steady job that my parents encourage me to take is this advertising career. But even if it's not necessarily the best choice, I'm interested in movie making. I'm going to make this choice, and and the consequences will be the consequences.
1: Hmm, that's interesting. I hadn't really like looked at his movies in that way. I always kind of see them as because we've been watching a bunch of his stuff recently, mm-hmm. more as people who are living kind of normal semi happy lives it's seemingly they seem to have a happy life in this sure and then some demonic force enters their <laughs> life and ruins it tears uh, it apart either for either through their own actions like in this or uh just happenstance which is kind of like a lynchian cronenberg type thing right
0: yeah that's exactly it i mean he does kind of fall into that david lynch junji ito kind of mm-hmm. major sweetie putting out truly deranged stuff uh-huh. <laughs> And you know what? Those are my kind of guys. They oh seem yeah, to be your kind of guys, certified but, freaks. I love yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. He is known for not only his directing, but in true auteur style, he does act and direct uh, the photography as well, making plenty of storyboards to help with this. In 2019, he said, "It's only when I'm actually in front of it that I have others hold the camera." And as I've mentioned before, this is part of the appeal of like having an auteur at the helm, sort of thing, by having one person handle everything. You're more likely to actually get their vision instead of several people all, all working towards that same goal, but mm-hmm. having to filter that vision through how effectively he's able to verbally communicate it. To right.
1: Someone. And with this movie, he wasn't even beholden to anybody for money. Right. Because he did it all with his own money. Yeah. He quit his job, had saved up a bunch of money, and then lived literally lived on the set of this movie for the year and a half it took to film it. So he had nobody except for the people that were making the movie with him to answer to, until pretty much ninety five percent of the crew quit, <laughs> and then it was just him, Tomoro, who's the main guy, and Kay, his uh, his girlfriend in the movie, were the last three. They were the last three people on this movie.
0: Right, and with this movie in particular, his chaotic style and everything. It's not just a hypothetical that something might get lost in the translation if he had someone else uh, working on those things. So mm-hmm. I think it is. Uh, to our benefit that he was willing to roll up his sleeves and uh, get in there. Mm -hmm. His acting is also pretty great. He's a big part of Ichi the Killer. He's in Shin Godzilla. He's the voice of Vamp in the Japanese version of Metal Gear Solid 4. Whoa, I didn't know about that one. And he's also in Scorsese's Silence, but he also stars in many of his own movies and knocks it out of the park. I particularly love his acting in Tokyo Fist and Killing, and he actually plays the metal fetishist in this movie. So, you know, there's no small role here. I think a great way to sort of frame the context part of this discussion is that prior to the actual release, it won the grand prize at the Rome Fanta Festival, where it played without subtitles, thanks to not literally not being able to afford translation. And the fact that it won, I think, is accurately high praise for how Tetsuo is very purely communicated. In the commentary on the disc, the guy, uh, Tom Mez, who literally wrote the book on Shenya Tsukamoto... Uh, Described it as the noisiest silent film ever. I thought that was a a great description.
1: Mm -hmm. It's definitely visually based on 1920s, like German expressionist film. I think that Bridget Helm from Metropolis, like, I think that the uh, first woman who was infected by the demon fetishist, she kind of looks like Bride of Frankenstein with that hair and everything like that. But I think, like, when it gets that close up, it reminds me of in Metropolis when you see Bridget Helms face and the makeup and everything and just like and all the facial acting in this movie definitely, is, definitely very expressionistic
0: yeah. there's the makeup and everything the monochrome film mm-hmm. so everything's in black and white high contrast it is all stuff that evokes the 20s and 30s especially if you're someone who doesn't know the movie and like you're if you're just catching it randomly you go oh, that's a movie from from the, the early 20th century mm-hmm. I did mention the Videodrome influence on Tokyo Fist in the introduction for this movie, and that does show up here as well. The movie itself kind of feels like something that you would catch on Channel 83, like you're watching something you're not supposed to be, almost. I don't think many people should be watching this movie. (laughs) Right, well, yeah, you have to curate your recommendations, for sure. And I think that this is encouraged by the dissonance of that early 20th century look, with a sensibility that is not just daring contemporaneously mm-hmm. it's daring today the fact mm-hmm. that we were like
1: is this the right movie to show uh-huh. <laughs> i was watching it last night and i was like oh boy <laughs> 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 what have we done this is
0: going to be in public <laughs> is that allowed <laughs> tetsuo does display a lot of uh, sukamoto's recurring thematics which is you know pretty admirable for something that is so early in his career mm-hmm. Including an early version of the deliberate exploration of our alienated bodies, muted by the sterile, unnatural environments that we've placed ourselves in, removed from nature.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And this world consumed in metal and industry is definitely expanded on in later works, including Tetsuo 2, a.k.a. Tutsuo, with a lot more glass and concrete. Nice, man. Nice. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, with a lot more glass and concrete than some suburban swaths in this one, but it does definitely manifest. Mm. This is one of several elements in play that align Tetsuo with cyberpunk and the cyberpunk movement, especially if your main concern is the fusion of man and machine, Mm -hmm. which yeah, that check, Mm -hmm. that happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is a progenitor though, so it also does feel different to a lot of the traditional examples, and I'm curious if you are into generally the genre of cyberpunk, or if this sort of stands out to you as uh, a little different from the rest.
1: I like some of it. I would say... I like the Japanese style that he's sort of, you know, yeah. like brought on, which I like the. Uh, Cyberpunk, I feel like it's been co- kind of co opted recently. It's mm-hmm. now it's all about just like, I don't know, it's kind of like consumerist in a way. cyber like, like, Cybercella. And like, it was all, a, before it was about people being exploited and like, especially like lower income people being exploited and sure. stuff like that. And now it's become kind of a playground for video mm-hmm. games. But I think what's interesting in this one. And, it's, and Tom Mez talks about it in the commentary, is that this one is more about, whereas cyberpunk typically is like a lot of high-tech low-life, right? That's like the, the, the tagline for William Gibson. Yeah. This one is like all low-life, and it's not any high-tech. There's like no digital technology in this whatsoever. It's all analog technology, and it's all um, just crushed and crunchy metal because Japan was in a different spot. When this came out whereas in America tech was blowing up and exploding and there was plenty of tech exploding in Japan but the bubble was about to burst and What was going to be called the lost decade was about to begin two years after this movie came out and if you don't know what the Lost decade is the Lost decade was uh, the, the halt of the Japanese economy in the 90s when all of the uh, boom that had been kind of initiated after the war came to a halt and Everything just sort of crumbled and people say that that has continued on to this day. Some people say that's still happening now, that it's nev- they've never left it. And I think what's interesting about this movie, because you see Tokyo from this perspective of the post-industrial rot, mm-hmm. and you don't see it from downtown Tokyo, you, don't, you see a couple shots from afar, it's always from a distance, right, until the very end when they're going into the heart of it. It's all just the... The rot underneath of it, which I think is again Lynchian, It's like that duality, right? Yeah. Of like, of like all this like success that's happening in this country supposedly, and then like these people, especially the demon or the fetishist at the beginning, is like obviously like a working class guy, and he he wants more for himself, and he has a perverted idea of how to get more for himself. <laughs> Shove a rebar. Shove in a rebar your in your body. leg, and you'll be a, a sprinter <laughs> like the people that he surrounds himself exactly. with, right? Uh, And I just think it's really interesting to see, like, it wasn't happening yet, but I think that people are sometimes psychically connected. And people, especially in the classes that are going to be most affected by those types of crises, probably sense it coming before anyone else. And I think he saw something coming. You know, he saw the House of Cards about to crash.
0: Definitely. And this world of metal does have its roots in history. Uh, They talked about the Korean slave labor that was brought to Japan during World War II which then had to make a living as an underclass, basically, and many illegally stripped metal from factories in American-occupied Japan. So this compounded with that post-industrial complacency. There was the social tumult bubbling under the fragile peace of the new Heisei era. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of sort of pieces of that social contract that were falling apart in the upcoming years. Right. These degraded buildings are another marker of those historical roots, and I thought that this was pretty interesting, where here a home is sort of more of a non-liquid investment, something that you'll have for a long time, but because of the regular occurrence of natural disasters in Japan, they aren't really built with that in mind, and so you can see things in this movie that are, quote-unquote, past their shelf life Mm -hmm. uh, in this, And, and so that's... Like, these factories and everything that are still standing,
1: Mm -hmm. just
0: filled with scrap metal.
1: I think what's interesting, too, is the movie was shot in a building that was slated to be demolished. So, Kei Fujiwara, the girlfriend in the movie, her apartment is the apartment that they live in. And uh, the rest of the building was mostly empty. So, the crew would live there. They'd shoot there. They knew it was slated for demolition, so they were going to destroy it. So, they're, like, literally utilizing not only the thing that is kind of causing a lot of problems for people, but also they're utilizing it to their own gain. And again, using the industrial waste around them, like thematically in the movie, but literally to make the movie as well.
0: Yeah. And the black and white does create those grays. It makes everything look like metal, even when it's
1: not in a really great way. I love a thematic use of Mm -hmm. something like that, like thematic slow motion, thematic coloring, you know, stuff like that, where it's like not just, pure style right and it's
0: icing on the cake that it helps cover up some of the uh you know effects and everything uh-huh. where they're working with a limited budget mm-hmm. so uh, shooting did take over a year with a lot of the cast and crew as you said living together to save money and then giving up and leaving which also uh, influenced shinya having to do much of it himself and uh, tomorrow to who you mentioned plays tetsuo was one of the few who didn't live with them and he called the atmosphere almost desperate saying it was very tough, so I quickly sensed that if you would stay with them all the time, you would inevitably get the urge to escape. <laughs> so I figured that I could keep some distance. I'd be able to last much longer and keep a good relationship with them. It's true that almost every day I went there, another crew member had left. One day I arrived at the house and the lighting crew had gone, so I had to do the lighting for Sukamoto's scenes myself. Towards the end, only the actors were still around. Yeah, just the
1: three of them, right? Yeah. Because Kay also did all of, or not all of, but she did a lot of the effects. Right. She did a lot of the costumes. Everyone pitching in. Everyone pitched in. And I think that's what's really fun is that like everybody, you can sense it in their acting too. They're all fully into it. Yeah. Even if it's like over the top and like a little like, you know, camp at times. Sure. They're they're all totally on the same wavelength.
0: And on the other hand, this being ready to give up did get to uh, Shinya as well, where he at one point uh, repeatedly almost burned the negative just to wipe his hands of the whole ordeal. He did run out of money towards the end of shooting, and he said, okay, I don't need to pay myself, but I do need to pay a sound designer, because if the sound is not good, then that's a big issue for your movie. And so he literally went and knocked on the doors of companies asking them to invest. And finally, one knew who he was because they had worked on the festival he'd entered with the short film and dry run at Tetsuo called The Adventure of Denchu Kozo, aka Electric Rod Boy.
1: Electric Rod Boy, which is... (laughs) Throughout the movie, when you see things on the television other than the stuff that is the memories and the uh, actual events of the movie, all of that stuff is from Denchu Kozo, which I thought was really interesting. Did you think so? When I first watched this movie, I hadn't seen that. The first couple of times I watched right. this movie, I hadn't seen Denchu Kozo, and I watched that in preparation for this, and then rewatched the movie, and I was like, "Oh shit, that's there's not, so
0: much. That's in the it. whole movie <laughs> is in there." And Wait, waste not, want not, right? And they
1: use like so in Denchu Kozo. There's this. Boy who has a literal rod growing out of his back, an electric rod, right. and they attach a light to it, like you do. like you do, and it's a future man who puts the light on there for him, um, and because uh, he has a time machine.
0: Well, the vampires had the time. Oh, so machine. the
1: vampires did have the time yeah. machine. Okay, well, we won't go through everything. Paul, we won't go on. through everything, but so the um, he has this light, and the the idea is that every. Uh, Whenever there's a great calamity in the world, there's a, a, a Denchu Kozo, an electric rod boy, That's right. with a light attached to him, that will uh, see the world through it. And I think it was interesting that in this movie, they use the scene of his light exploding, which is a pivotal part of that right. movie. And they, especially, the moment that stuck out to me the most was when the demon fetishist uh, merges together with him and the light explodes. And it's like a, I don't know, it's like almost like a perversion of, yeah, of yeah, what happened in that up. movie. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. That makes a lot of sense. I did like Denshu Kozu, and I thought that having seen it did definitely raise my sort of enjoyment of Tetsuo now being able to apply sort of uh, the plot of that to what was being shown on these moments. I did think it was interesting that he had done this documentary about Electric Rod Boy and then switched to something so different, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but...
1: Um, I think it's. It, I think it was really interesting to watch Kozo too because it doesn't have uh, Chu Ishikawa who did mm-hmm. the soundtrack for this. Right, and you go, you got to watch that and then come back and watch this, and You're like oh, everybody that makes all the difference. Everybody knows this soundtrack is awesome, but once you come once you hear what was there first, and <laughs> then you hear this, it's a it's stark. It he he stark. was
0: he was right to think I need to pay a sound designer. <laughs> yes. So, this company introduced him to Japan Home Video, which was a major distributor during the boom years of video rentals, and they gave him an advance on the home video rights to finish the movie. Mm -hmm. And this was interesting because the veracity of demand during these booming years of video rentals provided an environment for smaller movies to get a release, even with limited
1: or no theatrical distribution. The Japanese movie industry was, like, crashing to a certain extent, like, in terms of, like, full feature films. It was
0: 10% of its peak Yeah. Cinema attendance in 1950 yeah. or something. Yeah. And it kind of shifted the entire industry in such a way that, like, they, him and people in his position couldn't just get it seen but actually turn a profit on a movie like this that was only being released in home video.
1: And they would get money before the movie would even come out. They would pretty much do, like, a Kickstarter right. before the movie would come out in the early 90s.
0: Yeah. I, I This was something that did occur to me where it was like, The industry in general, people now build home video pre-sales into their budgets, Mm -hmm. and this sort of started the bubble that we're in now, where we just have these uh, rapidly expanding budgets that, frankly, seem untenable, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but that it does all start with the fact that people were just like, I gotta have my movies at home, baby, and I know what that's like.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm more of a Nicole Kidman type. I like yeah. to be there.
0: <laughs> very fair, very fair. Somehow, heartbreak felt better at home for me. I don't know what to tell you about. <laughs> so he got the money to finish from uh, from this company, and he hired Chu Ishikawa, who he worked with all the way until his death in the middle of post-production of the 2019 Samurai movie uh, that they worked on together called Killing. Mm-hmm. And Shinya said that he wanted to honor his friend instead of looking for somebody new. And he wound up sort of pasting together the movie that he had made for that movie, along with some things that had been cutting room floor material from years past. And he said it made sort of an interesting bookend to choose career, because when I first used his music with Tetsuo Iron Man, he didn't really know about film music at all. So what I ended up doing back then was also taking the music he had and pasting it together. In a way, it ended up being that the last film I did with him was a very similar process to the first.
1: Wow. So there you go. That's touching. Yeah.
0: Uh, Like I said, it won at Fantafest and became a pretty successful midnight movie in both Japan and America, bolstered by that home video market that we discussed. But Tetsuo also does importantly mark the end of what is considered to be a pretty fallow period in Japan cinema, uh, full of bankrupt studios, that 10% theater attendance that I mentioned, and an industry that was emphasizing foreign imports as well, importantly. Uh, they were interested in American movies. It seemed like Hollywood was going to basically push all other international sort of cinema out of, out of yeah. contention. And then suddenly, here was a new creative wave of filmmakers that were mm-hmm. starting out. Uh, a Shinya, just one of many that were sort of finding their footing yeah, here. And
1: Takashi Miike. Right.
0: And one of them had just put out the best horror movie ever made. So, mm-hmm. great start. Mm-hmm. So, let's get into the actual movie now. It starts out with the Kaiju Theater Production Company, then uh, regular-sized monster series. Very
1: cheeky. It is cheeky, and I thought that was really funny because you watch it, and it is a Kaiju movie Mm -hmm. on a regular scale, right? Right, And you can take it very literally. Uh, But Tom Mez, in his his, um, commentary on this movie, he says that the idea was to take the monsters from the Kaiju movies and to put them in the context of regular life. And I think that again Is that sort of juxtaposition That you see in like A David Lynch movie sure. Of like the monster On the, like, the You know like the two sides Right That's what creates The surreality Yeah right? exactly And I thought that was Really interesting I had never I didn't even consider That little title card That cheeky title card To be something That was sort of like A mission statement In a way I thought it was just A very <laughs> literal statement About what this movie Was going to be Yeah
0: Both Por no los dos As of they say This guy known as The metal fetishist
1: Arrives home With a bunch of scrap metal And looks at his Disgusting weak human flesh He's surrounded by Olympic athletes, That's Olympic right. runners. Which, at, when you're watching it at first, you're like, "What is that all about?" And then they, and then he jams the rod into his leg, mm-hmm. and they catch on fire, right? Yeah. And at first, you're like, "It just seems like a visual flare, right?" But like, if you think about it, it's he wants to push himself, right? Yeah. He they wants, have
0: transcended the limits of the human body, mm-hmm. and he wants to do the, the same. The only
1: way he can consider it is he's already got metal stuck in his head from a event that we will see later in the movie it's whispering to him hey it's whispering wouldn't it be to him? great to put some, more metal, put some more metal in me yeah like just and so he jams it in there get the whole gang <laughs> and then what i love about this is like he he jams it in and he's like this is going to be great <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm gonna just wrap this thing up and we're gonna be off to the races literally that's right and he takes it off and he sees the maggot and then you see him do the worst run you've ever seen in your entire <laughs> life like it is the worst form of any runner yeah and he's just hobbling along and he's made a huge mistake he certainly has
0: um i do love sort of interlaced through this opening scene we get the opening or the like title cards as well which Mm -hmm. i really love it's they sort of let you let you sneak into it they say Mm -hmm. oh here's a natural lull boom director's name (laughs) another lull boom actor's name Uh i
1: think you're cooking but you're not
0: we're not we're not there yet (laughs) That's right. And uh, yeah, he didn't consider that there would be a a cleansing process needed for this. No. And so when he unwraps it to check on it, there are maggots and stuff, which is very gross. Mm -hmm. And for me, this is that response to alienation, Mm -hmm. that seeking elevated experience filtered through the expressionism, obviously. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy for us to sit here and go, well, obviously you shouldn't shove a metal rod into your leg. (laughs) It's very easy for for us to judge him. But we also do a lot of stuff that isn't healthy because it feels good. Sure. How many of us had a drink tonight or smoked yeah. a cigarette?
1: Who doesn't have a five-hour energy here and there, you know? Right.
0: Cast the first metal rod. I don't,
1: I don't drink <laughs> five-hour energies. But that's like, you know, I'm going to line my stomach with plastic to get a little energy, you know? Yeah,
0: for sure, for sure. Uh, crimes of the future. Get those microplastics. Mm-hmm. Who knows what's going on in mm-hmm. there? And, yeah, so he runs down the path. It is this dark parody of the track stars that he admired, Where he's hit by a car to the sound of smooth saxophone. And this is like,
1: I love this because it's it's like Scorsese. It's like a little like, just a little Scorsese touch in there. He doesn't have too much of that, but he obviously is very, like, he'll make a later movie that is 100% taxi driver. Right. Has direct shot homages in it. Right. Bullet Um, Ballet. mm -hmm, Yeah. mm Mm-hmm. I mean,
0: even in this, there's a a Scorsese uh, short film where it was, like, some commentary on Vietnam, and it's about a guy who's, like, just looking in the mirror, and then he cuts his throat, basically. Mm, I've never seen that one. And it feels very similar to the scenes where he's poking at the little... Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of fly influence in that as well, but Mm -hmm. um, certainly the Scorsese love does come through, and it went both ways since he got cast in uh, Silence. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and that... That just this jazzy moment kind of has this, just from the rest of the soundscape that we've had so far, is just such a, such a just juxtaposition yeah. in this moment.
0: Really pulls the rug out for yeah me. And thus we meet Salaryman Tetsuo, who begins having these intense industrial visions. The way this is shot rocks. It's a cool-ass intro to Tetsuo, whose name scrolls across the screen as he convulses. It's a beautiful dance. Yeah, a very David Byrne. Mm-hmm. Take him to the factory, uh-huh. drop him in the metal. Uh-huh. Who says no? shaving the next morning he has the tv on which seems like a fairly risky proposition to Uh me but again who judges right the fun thing is that he's watching shinny sukamoto's short film the adventures of electric rod boy which as we mentioned i did quite like does feel like a dry run for this movie in Mm -hmm. many ways but you add a little time traveling cyborg vampire and uh the electric rod himself Mm -hmm. anyway tetsuo discovers this metal spike poking out of his cheek not ideal for sure. That'll tear up the razor. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to buy a new one.
1: Those can't be cheap right now.
0: <laughs> it is a large and conscious influence to have this Seth Brundle-ass scene yeah. here. But also his desires won't be denied. Mm-hmm. It's it's literally emerging from his body. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tries to deny it, though, based on his casual phone call and hanging out with the cats over the morning paper.
1: I love that scene. of Again, I'm going to bring up Lynch a lot here, but I do think there's a lot of A lot of that in here and I love that just over and over again saying hello to each other and it's I think the thing that he does in a lot of his movies that can make his movies feel a little opaque when you first watch them is he'll switch between reality and an interior state without giving you sort of any idea that he's done that right and obviously in this moment he's inside of his head he's not paying attention to the phone call um, he's playing over the, the beginning of this phone call over and over in his head as he ruminates on the murder and uh, car, uh, post-murder sex that they sure. have sure. In, in the, later in the movie.
0: Right. Uh, I will also say that this element being slightly more literal and being about the encroaching technology, uh, all this metal, instead of guilt and desire, uh, does make it extremely relatable. The world of the of today does at time. Uh, create a feeling of dread and a Unabomber-esque flight response mm-hmm. without the explosives, but just kind of like let me retreat to a shack in the woods and uh-huh. lose my mind carefully out uh-huh. there. Um,
1: <laughs> too real. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I'm staying silent because I agree. 100%. <laughs> uh,
0: the phone call does reveal that he was in the car that hit the fetishist, and that fetish seems to have spread to him Uh, His guilt, perhaps, trying to get out after the hit and run Mm -hmm. is uh, one way to sort of view what's going to happen in this movie. So Mm -hmm. I'll just put that out there now. And he is degrading on the way to work. He collapses on a chair. I love that this woman next to him is immediately disgusted by him, (laughs) then notices this nasty smoldering metal thing on the ground, which the fetishist is watching from. And she's like,
1: now we're talking. I want to touch that. I don't want to touch him. I want to touch that. Right,
0: which now brings me to well, perhaps the to most important question okay, of the ahead, podcast, which is, you going to touch that industrial goo pile,
1: Maybe with a pencil, like
0: <laughs> Maybe she does.
1: Pen. I'm not touching it with my finger, but yeah. I'll like, you know, secondhand. Might turn you into a Phyrexian. I'll hand touch it. <laughs> uh, I think something interesting that goes through a lot of his movies, too, that was in this is the environment... Um, not only the environment of, of the metal and the, and the encroaching technology, as you said, but uh, the, the weather, which Tokyo is a hot city. Tokyo is a wet city. And in this movie, we see a lot of the hot uh, and people, and especially in the subway, you know, people sweating. And I think it's really interesting. Sure. He sits down next to this woman and she moves away instantly. I think maybe it's a little bit in his head, too, because typically you'd be a little more polite yeah. in a Japanese subway. You would, you would sit a few seats away from somebody. You wouldn't sit right next to them. You got to leave the buffer. You got to leave the buffer space. That's something they get right over there. <laughs> Um, and then I think that I think that that was a, a thing that kind of like you know just a little touch through this movie is the environment like sort of the oppressiveness yeah. of just the of the world sure. in general. Um, in a Snake of June, it's nonstop torrential rains. Mm-hmm. Um, so he uses the weather as sort of like a tonal and like a um, just like a little bit of like a character builder, a quick sure. like shortcut type of thing. And I think he does a good job with it here.
0: Yeah, the heat is almost mm-hmm. the fifth character you could say. <laughs> Um, I also do love in this where you can like it's from the, the fetishist's point of view for a second there uh-huh. and You can just see Tetsu like poking at his face in
1: the background uh-huh. yeah, That's a great moment. Hold on. I got a question though. How what? do he get tiny?
0: He's the fetishist. Right? How
1: do you get tiny? He goes, Don't worry about <laughs> it. All right. It's just, just I need how, to ask that question
0: It's uh, he's he's magic magic metal fetishist. I'll accept it. How does he possess people Paul? <laughs> You, you can't open this can of worms. I
1: don't know. I a, it's, the whole movie's falling apart. I'm regretting this now.
0: Uh, when she does touch it, though, she becomes possessed by the fetishist. She's all metal-armed and fucked up in the face. Mm-hmm. And uh, now Tetsuo is the freaked-out one, uh, perhaps because he thinks that she is James, James Woods from Videodrome, <laughs> and he's starstruck. She chases him through the subway station, though, which is filmed in a very fun mix of static and these handheld shots that bounce around a lot, which I think is a cool way to keep you off balance.
1: Yeah, and it's you can tell they're stealing a location, right? Yeah, like, right. E- every time they're outside... Oh, you don't think they
0: got the uh, permits for that I don't, one, they, I don't know
1: if they signed those up. <laughs> uh, they, they're definitely... Uh, they're stealing every outdoor location in this movie. And It's, yeah. uh, it, it's fun to think about because, one, it, you know, the Japanese subway is a very busy thing, uh, so just doing this seems like a... Pretty big feet. Uh, and then I like when they're outside doing stealing stuff on the streets, uh, doing the stop motion, and you just imagine these people in a giant metal outfit standing still, <laughs> taking a shot, and then moving it two feet behind and doing that all day long down yeah. the street. Wow. It's the beautiful thing to imagine. It
0: really is. It really is. I also like to imagine them just being like, she's, she's got like the fucked up arm, yeah. and they're like, all right, go, 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 go. go. Uh, the train is pulling away, get in there. Um, I also will say that one thing I love about this scene is the scratching in the mix, which mm-hmm. is really disgusting. Mm-hmm. I don't mind saying, throughout the entirety of the movie, is they communicate sort of the rejection of the metal mm-hmm. by the flesh mm-hmm. through that irritation and constant scratching at it, scratching and, um, at the
1: skin across the teeth.
0: Yeah, really, just viscerally disturbing to me. <laughs> She has him cornered in a little room, though, where he's literally falling apart, so he has to stab her in the neck with a pen and fight her. Mm-hmm. And she kicks his ass, though, because she's a badass metal babe. Mm-hmm. She punches him all the way home. <laughs> uh, apparently, the original cut of this movie was 10 minutes longer, and part of this was here, yep. where she opens the garage to continue chasing him
1: and uh, did a tap number. Does a little tap dance, a little Looney Tunes tap dance. And you see a, bri- a like a brief moment right. where she's like, she and does she a kickball change. Uh huh. Then she just kicks the ball at right. his <laughs> I
0: I think it's funny that he was like,
1: "This is too much." Yeah, the dancing, <laughs> the dancing's taking me we out. We
0: finally we finally <laughs> reached the, the line. She taunts him, and he retaliates. The fetishist becoming more and more incensed, and attacking the walls of his cage as Tetsuo knocks her damn block off
1: mm. with his iron
0: manitude emerging.
1: I love this moment too because it is a kaiju battle mm-hmm. where you literally see the demon fetish is driving her yeah and i think that's just a, it, you don't really see that too much more throughout the movie but i just like this moment of like he hits her and you see that reaction inside of it and it's 100 percent him doing what he loves right this is like the most homage to that uh tokusatsu style of film right. right absolutely
0: we see that it has emerged in the form of some like stuff on his arm and also some rocket feet and i mentioned this to you earlier paul that there was a moment in the movie where i said okay maybe it would be worth it the rocket and feet. I'm thinking that these rocket feet. <laughs> rocket that's, that's the Colin
1: Georgie's you name. don't need a car anymore. You don't
0: need a car. I don't have to worry about waiting for the trolley. Oh, I'll just zip on down on my damn rocket feet.
1: But drill dick? No. Do you want drill dick? I
0: don't, I don't want it, but if it's in exchange for rocket okay. feet. All right. Right. <laughs> I would mean, at least consider it. Okay. Right? All right. He has a, a powerful dream wherein his girlfriend is all painted up. And does a seducing dance leading to using a giant twisty metal dong on him. That's not a dream you forget quick. (laughs) Bring it up at lunch the next day and Jim from marketing is like, we're not that good of friends. I don't want to hear about your weird sex dreams and I don't think we should eat lunch together anymore. The spike spot in his cheek erupts the next morning, but he tells his girlfriend it's nothing as he rips off his whole damn cheek. As he becomes a Terminator. That's right. He's pulling off
1: the Terminator p- face.
0: That's right. I also love the great shot of the blood soaked, bandaged feet. There's yeah. just like, one quick little mm-hmm. quick little moment as he's standing at the scene. Yeah,
1: sink. a lot of good montagey moments of just like insert shots that just, you know yeah. really jack up your, your mental state yeah. throughout this.
0: And on the other metal hand, it looks like nothing as they have sex. Mm-hmm. Truly in his mind, perhaps, and distracting him as he has uh, another vision of metal in his arm. Uh, I also will say that his aggressiveness in this this sex scene does feel like perhaps he's trying to reclaim some of his traditional
1: masculinity Mm -hmm. after that dream. I love how choreographed this sex scene is. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever seen a choreographed sex scene before. Like, up to the climbing up the wall. Yeah. Absurd. That was wild. Yeah. They eat breakfast, and she's like, hey,
0: baby i'm gonna eat it all sexy like <laughs> but the chewing is like clanking and shrieking metal <laughs> not that sexy in my mm, opinion
1: mm. no nah, metal uh, on tooth not sexy
0: yeah those those close-ups where it's like just rubbing the fork with her teeth. i'm
1: trying to when i'm watching it i'm like is she holding the fork right now like is she the one doing the turning because like i'm know. not letting somebody spin a <laughs> fork in my mouth it's getting the pasta mm.
0: It really is awful. It's worse than the body horror to me. Just this. Yeah. Uh,
1: Anytime the teeth are used in this. And he likes to come back to that, too. He's into it. There's a movie called Haze. If you want to see some tooth stuff, Ooh. there's some good tooth there's stuff. There's some in good that. tooth
0: stuff. That's another fun one. Sort of cube saw yeah. somewhere in the middle there. Mm-hmm. They, get, they start to get frisky again mm-hmm. until his penis becomes a drill, mm-hmm. as you alluded to. Very funny. Obviously, the expressionistic metaphor for helicoptering. That's what I took it as. <laughs> They're both freaked out, Mm -hmm. but she's also like, hold up, let him cook. (laughs) (laughs) She says, I told you I don't scare easily, which will be applicable later with her fetishism of Mm -hmm. death and deformation, so hold that in your mind, Mm -hmm. but also she should scare easily because he shoves his spiky metal arm through the damn door like it's the shining, Mm -hmm. but she still wants it. She still wants it. She forces open the door that he's cowering behind. And we see his face is also consumed now, too. And he goes nuts. Mm -hmm. He attempts to have sex with her with the drill. Mm -hmm. He stabs her stomach. Mm -hmm. All these holes he was drilling were actual holes in her apartment. Tough to explain drill dick when you're trying to get your security (laughs) deposit back. (laughs) She fends him off with a pan burn and some thigh stabs. Incredible. And on the floor, he sticks a fork in a socket to try and relieve himself of this torture.
1: Yeah, so that's one part of this that I never really got... I, I'm i taking that as a little bit of like a sadism thing. That's Could kind be. of the vibe I was getting because be. you have her who her perversion, her fetish is, is death and, uh, and you know, like I guess maybe a little bit of violent sex. Um, you have the metal fetishist. That's his fetish. You don't really like know what his fetish is. He seems like kind of like maybe a subservient guy. Mm-hmm. Um, He's a switch. A Timur guy, yeah. 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 I mean, as his dream would <laughs> have us uh, yeah. see. And like... I think so I was kind of getting that it was like maybe it was like a little bit of like he feels like this guilt and he just decides that he deserves the punishment. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I read it.
0: Sure. But the problem is now he's just smoldering and all fucked up. Mm-hmm. So It's powering him up. Yeah, I guess so. He attacks her once again. She finds a weak spot to stab Tetsuo uh, once more and drop him. It was the neck, it mm-hmm. turns out. Hopefully this isn't revealing too much, but that's actually a weak
1: spot for me too. <laughs> I am honored that you would share your yeah. weak spot with me. Thank you. Nobody stab me in the neck, please.
0: <laughs> she smooches and licks him a bit on account of being turned on by death, like mm-hmm. a psycho. And uh, she hops on his drill penis in a pure passion.
1: And is so. This is a mo- a point of contention. Some people think that she kills herself because she feels bad for killing him. Right. But also, so. it's she could just be into wanting to. I,
0: I think that there's enough other death fetishism going yeah, on. Yeah, I think for you're her. right. That, uh, that she's just like, I'm into this I actually. think you're right. I'm not scared by much, she says. And this is just in time for Tetsuo to wake up and reveal he wasn't actually dead. I've always said this is a real Romeo and Juliet story.
1: <laughs> I have the exact same note. No, I'm not joking. I, I <laughs> oh, did yeah. the same thing. Well, that's because it is. And we're both geniuses. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, Obviously. That's right.
0: That's right. Uh, Tetsuo has a soak to decompress after this fight, which who can blame him? Mm-hmm. And the fetishist emerges from his little hidey hole, and he's also more metal now than he was, and he has this flashback to the doctor's appointment where the doctor is like, wow, I can't believe you have a piece of metal shoved (laughs) in your head. What dumb idiot did that? Anyway, you're lucky to be alive, and you'll die instantly if it's removed, so get used to it. Mm -hmm. It looks cool, though. It does look, hey, jewelry. It looks cool. And it's so funny to me that Tetsuo is just walking around with this giant giant drill erection now for the mm-hmm. rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Even while getting a call from the fetishist, uh-huh. he's like,
1: Hello? Seeing a man with a drill dick answer the phone yeah. is something that I didn't know that I needed in a movie until I saw it. I've,
0: we've, I've seen this probably like five times now in it's total, never... and I am still just like, look at that guy's drill dick. <laughs> that call basically says, I'm coming to
1: get you. You'll never stop me. Drop dead metal freak. I love the camera panning back and forth across it.
0: That's great. I also really love the idea that the metal fetishist is like,
1: Yeah, you're a metal
0: freak. I hate you for being metal. Uh-huh. The guy that I like, he was doing
1: that. I That's def- his thing. I definitely don't love you for your metal, and this will not come up again later. <laughs>
0: right, click. <laughs> Tetsuo has a flashback now, this time to the accident from the fetishist's POV, where he sort of like puts things together, I guess, mm-hmm. where they get rid of the body. And Then, while burying him, here's her death fetish again. Mm-hmm. She's so turned on by the adrenaline that they have sex on a tree over the grave, mm-hmm. which we've been seeing over and over again with yeah. less context.
1: I love this in like kind of a subversion of your normal horror movie plot, where yeah. typically you'll um, have the people that are that are going to be su- suffering through the movie. You'll get a, pretty quickly you'll get to know like why they're bad people and why yeah. they deserve to suffer. And I love that it's hidden from us for half the movie, and we're just like, "Oh, these poor people. This demon guy is just." <laughs> really messing their day up yeah. turns out turns out they suck they suck yeah uh,
0: i also do think it's interesting to see you know there was a ton of influence that cronenberg had on this movie so it's then interesting to see that the eroticism around car crashes is uh-huh. done well before Cronbone did his take on the 1973 novel crash right.
1: the novel existed though That's so right. perhaps knows that was right. percolating around yeah. back in, the, in uh tsukamoto's head yeah but just
0: cool to see that sort of uh feedback loop yeah Tetsuo becomes more and more consumed by metal, then keeps trying to electrocute himself. Uh, this is one of the few full body shots of the suit, but it does look incredible.
1: It's it's beautiful. They did obviously all of these shots of him in this suit probably in a day, so yeah. they never had to set it up again. <laughs> a nightmare to get into, but just incredible. Just like this movie is is so cheap, to, like is so cheaply made. But I think that the effects are all pretty good. I, I mean, even when they're like not looking the best, they still. I don't know they still have like a fun campy quality to them
0: yeah definitely i also love that um you like there's this moment here where he's like getting dressed up for a date with uh-huh. the he's uh-huh. like let me get my makeup on mm-hmm. me put my clothes me on get check the flowers out, check out my leg
1: bar and just make right. sure that's looking good looking
0: good oh actually i do have metal in me as well <laughs> i don't know if you noticed and he speeds over to his house with the, with the flowers. He's got this great laugh mm-hmm. uh, sort of intermixed with the Denju Kozu.
1: It kind of reminds me of a little, it's a little Evil Dead-y or like Army of Darknessy. y yeah. um, But Army of Darkness came out after this, so it's not that. But I feel like there's a little bit of that... Um,
0: there's some Evil Dead too, perhaps. Some, yeah. Th-
1: yeah, there's a little bit of that vibe going yeah. on.
0: Um, as he gets there even the cats become metal thanks to the fetishist's arrival. Mm, a sad part of the movie. They're very sad. Unfortunate, Although, the really. Little, the little meow at the... It's kind of...
1: Kind when he kind of he yeah. becomes full metal and you're like, this could be okay for this cat. This is going to get rocket feet, so... <laughs> That's
0: right. He's, now he has going to be feet. a
1: very fast cat.
0: That's right. Birds, watch out. <laughs> he also possesses the girlfriend's corpse who uh, her hand has now merged with the knife mm. and the transformation where he erupts from her is sick. Mm -hmm. And he hands Tetsuo the flowers. Mm -hmm. Love that.
1: It's a sweet date, honestly. It's a great meet-cute moment. Sure. Absolutely. I guess they had their meet-cute earlier, but... He's following up on it. It's all still, yeah. We're getting face-to-face now. That's right.
0: And the fetishist shows him a a, a vision of a new world where everything is metal. The future liberals want, am I right? (laughs) 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 And I have thus far refrained from using metal to describe the movie, as an adjective for the uh, movie. But finally, I feel compelled to do it as a skeleton becomes devoured by a wire swarm. Mm-hmm. And I'll say that is pretty metal.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a metal-ass world. And I it, I love that... I think there, there's parts of it that feel like Denshukozu here. The, uh, the uh, womb thing that he is in, uh, and his face is in, reminds me there's a device that... When you're traveling through time in Denshukozo, when vampires send you through time, uh, they send you in a uh, little uh, womb thing that flies through space and time. Right. Um, and I, that kind of reminds me of. Traditional time travel. Tradition, yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, I've seen 12 monkeys. Right.
0: <laughs> a Philly class? There you go. <laughs> um, it also does feel very Terminator to me, mm-hmm. which uh, T2 is referenced pretty heavily in Tetsuo 2.
1: Ah, uh, okay. Tutsuo.
0: Sorry. <laughs> uh, my apologies, yeah. yes. There, there's also another moment later on that does feel like Arnie arriving back in time. So, I'm thinking there's okay. a lot of Terminator action going mm-hmm. on in here. And Tetsuo's whole face is covered by metal now. But he does resist, and they fight. And the way the fights are shot with stop motion is just so incredible. Like, I, I watch this movie, and I go, I hate realism. I uh-huh. hate it so much.
1: I know. I watched When I first watched this, I remember being into it, but it wasn't until this fight that like I was like, oh, I— I'm I'm in yeah. for this movie 100% because it's just like it's so smart to do it with the stop motion again to be able to steal the locations to not ha- and to be able to deal with this giant apparatus that's on both actors and to have them do things that are impossible right like the guy like puts his soaps on and like is like sketching on the side of the wall and stuff like that Yeah. It's it's incredible. There's like some really creative stop motion moments throughout this. It rocks. Yeah, it, it rocks. It rocks big
0: time. And in getting hit The fetishist relives his childhood trauma, narrativized as a Ronin-ass transient gentleman, Mm -hmm. beating up the fetishist with a similar metal rod to the one that he shoved in his body earlier. Mm -hmm. This does play into sort of the idea of, I mean, that a lot of horror catharsis plays into, which is the idea that if you repeat it enough, it becomes a scenario. Mm -hmm. And as the writer of the scenario, you have control. So this whole thing taking the metal into his body becoming this humanity transcending being is that act of agency in its purest form mm-hmm. i decide what happens to me again something that is explored over and over again in his filmography
1: i think it's interesting too if you look at it and i'm not like a like an expert of like japanese history or anything like that or culture but like i think it's interesting that it is like a father figure that hits him with this pipe and right. kind of ingrains this like anger and this need for destruction in him um, that he's trying to exercise through this scenario building and through the spreading of pain throughout the world. And it's sort of like he's been betrayed. And it's I think it's kind of like almost a stand-in for like, again, if this is sort of like a look at like, hey, things are going wrong in our country right now and things are about to get really bad and we're about to lose an entire generation of people, like it's like a, we've been sold out, you yeah, know? Yeah. We've been sold out by our parents who like were occupied, bought into this thing, we had a bunch of money, and it's all about to come crashing down on us now. Right. Which is relatable. <laughs>
0: okay, Paul. <laughs> the fetishist screams, Stop. He's having this PTSD flashback, and both he and Tetsuo get launched by his power. Mm-hmm. The fetishist gets up, more metal than ever, and he, Magneto style, uses the warehouse itself to attack Tetsuo. And Tetsuo is adhered to a wall in the aftermath, which, looking back at that lens that I mentioned earlier, you can view as him being trapped by the guilt, which already took his relationship, mm-hmm. and now it is uh, absorbing his whole world, basically. Mm-hmm. The fetishist's hand becomes unattached, mm-hmm. which is gross. Mm-hmm. And it's a damn flamethrower. Which, which is, is cool. cool. Yeah, there you go. Look, rocket feet, flamethrower It's hand. looking better. <laughs> the deal is getting sweeter and sweeter. Yeah. He says that the difference between them is merely the circumstances of their birth mm-hmm. that his metal had rust on it even before it was implanted in him mm-hmm. uh, compared to Tetsuo's stainless steel. I really love that this sort of does provide a little more motivation for him. This sort of bitterness at people like Tetsuo wasting their life, feeling ground down when he was born on
1: third base compared to someone like, like the fetishist. And I think it ties into the the, again the economy of a lower class person and a middle class person yeah. right he's obviously like a middle class like salary man yeah he has a car you know he's got he's got some upward mobility but they're both in the same predicament right yeah. but he just is ignoring him and when he see when he kills a, a person that he is below him in class right they just throw his body out and then his girlfriend you know wants to have sex in front of that right it's very demeaning and you know gross thing to do right and i just think it's really he's interesting. an object he's, an he's object. not a person exactly right. and i think it's really interesting this like kind of like co- like class war that's happening here when they're really on the ultimately the same side wow. which will be something that uh so true that solidarity come, that comes through Even in
0: metal mm-hmm. i also one thing i forgot to mention is that in his getting ready to come over for this date that the outfit that the fetishist put on is a track outfit mm-hmm. but uh instead of a number. It has the letter X, Mm. almost like a patient zero Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So it is just a little playing into the athlete Mm. stuff from earlier as well. But yeah, uh, Tetsuo's body sort of protects him as the fetishist goes in for the final strike. Your future is metal! He screams just as Tetsuo's drill dick emerges and (laughs) stabs the hell out of him. Mm -hmm. He's not done yet, though. This has not finished him off, and uh, he, they look rad there in their final form. He's all spiky,
1: mm-hmm. spikety now.
0: It's cool. He, he looks, looks cool. like
1: he looks like Tetsuo from Akira a little bit here. Yeah,
0: which actually, the first time that I saw this movie, I also watched Akira for the first time, mm-hmm. and uh, it was quite a nice fucked up guy's named Tetsuo.
1: Uh-huh.
0: They fuse. There's, there's a, you know, we talked about how it was set up sort of like a date.
1: Mm-hmm. There is a
0: lot of romanticism yeah. involved in the way that they sort of come together here.
1: Mm-hmm. They and, become giant metal phallic heads, H.R. Oh, Giger-esque oh, yes. as hell. Oh, yeah. And they entwine with each other.
0: That's right. And in, in one final screaming convulsion, we too are drawn into Tetsuo, where we see him and the fetishist floating in their human forms, except a connection at the arm. They are tied mm-hmm. together. They are bound, and now the me- the metal fetishist and Tetsuo both strugglingly emerge from the pile of metal as one giant metal penis. <laughs> and they feel great. They feel great. This theme of alienation does tend to be ascribed as a typically masculine thing. You know, again, mm-hmm. I'll point that fight club as like yeah. the prototypical what people think of with this subject. I think that that is playing into why there is a giant penis that they turn into at the end here. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, our love can destroy this whole fucking world.
1: <laughs> and we have a happy ending. Happy ending.
0: Get their asses. <laughs> they zoom into Tokyo. They're ready to do it. I mean, look, your guilt will destroy everything you hold dear. Mm-hmm. So don't do hit and runs on the unhoused. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's a good lesson to yeah. take from this movie. And, and uh, you know, class class bind class yourself together, right? Yeah. right? And, and uh, take down the city.
1: Turn the metal into rust. That's right. And... Turn the entire, join it with the dust of the universe, right?
0: You know, for 67 minutes, there are a lot of great lessons. There's a lot of good lessons in this movie. But now, Paul, Mm. we've reached the part of the episode where we sum up why this isn't just a good horror movie, but is, in fact, the best horror movie ever made.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I'm going to let you start.
1: I just, as I've watched more movies through my life, I'm looking for The Freaks, and when I spot a freak and I see a freak I know a freak and I've watched more of this guy's movies and the freak hits don't stop oh he a freak (laughs) for real and I just you can only get what this director gives you from his movies there's nowhere else to get it and when I find that I just hold on to it and that's this movie's a this movie's the summation it's the first full thing he did and it's all there yeah everything's there he's just refining it now
0: the blueprints were late Mm mm-hmm yeah absolutely to me this is the best horror movie ever made because it is so unique i mean even the all of the things that i have mentioned as influences or that it influenced they come together in such a unique package that it's it, it's while it is homaging them yes it never feels like it's ripping them off or or doing mm-hmm. anything in a less than a loving way right that is enhancing
1: what is already there He's adding to the conversation. Exactly, mm-hmm. I think that
0: that's a, a big issue. A lot of times, is people say, "Oh, it's enough to just reference something and mm-hmm. let that do the heavy lifting." Right. But here, the references are building towards something. They are. They are. They're the icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. But everything is there already. The the frenetic editing is so incredible. Mm-hmm. The stop motion fights amazing the costuming amazing mm-hmm. the fact that this has stood up to watch and watch again and every time i'm picking up new things yeah. much this is i mean again we've brought up david lynch a lot that same kind of repeat viewability yeah is is what makes a great movie
1: you're going to pick up you're going to change and when you go back to it as a changed person you're going to pick up different things that are applicable to your life in that moment.
0: Yeah. And I know for a fact that there are people in this audience who watch this movie for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that now having gone through the discussion that they're looking back at it and going, Oh wow. Yeah. I hadn't considered it that way. And I'm sure that if they watch it again, that they will pick up new things. And mm-hmm. to me, the fact that this is the kind of movie where you can show it to someone and say, Hey, look at this fucked up thing that you can I love just have fun.
1: you can just have fun well if you if you think this is fun you can, yeah, you right. can just have fun watching this movie and just right. and leave it at that yeah. walk away from it with just being like that was disgusting
0: and and you it helps you find your people
1: if, 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 oh, yeah. you
0: fi- if you're like I think this is fun and you think this is fun look it's at a bu- that guy's a, metal dick
1: it's a bouquet of flowers that you hand to somebody yeah. and if they do not accept it you don't want them in your life
0: that's exactly right <sighs> Paul <laughs> and uh, that's why this is the best horror movie ever made Oh, great. Paul, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. This was an absolute blast. Please tell the people where they can find you, where they can uh, watch your shows, all that jazz. Uh,
1: I do a weekly video game show called Continue. Uh, It's at youtube.com slash continue show where we play video games uh, and hang out. And I do a podcast called Goosebuds where we read Goosebumps books and give them the hard-hitting critique they deserve. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I've been on it. We held that goosebumps feet to, to the, the fire.
1: fire, baby. That's
0: right. As far as my well, first of all, I'll say I highly encourage you to check all those things out. I was a big fan of Continue even before I met Paul, and so uh, you know it's it's always great to uh, to be like, hey, yeah, that show fucking rocks. I love
1: it. Freak, so, freaks recognize freaks, yeah. man. <laughs> That's
0: right and uh so yeah check out all that stuff as far as my plugs paul has been on the show multiple times that's the best little horror house in philly which you can find anywhere you listen to podcasts we've
1: and i never lied about what movie was my favorite horror movie
0: that's right that's right (laughs) uh one of them i i actually typically the choice is out of my hands but one of them i said i've had enough i'm forcing (laughs) a movie upon you and uh, we watched solaris and
1: it was great that was fun
0: but yeah so listen to the best little horror house in philly there's all kinds of great comedians and stuff uh, have been on the show uh, timmy williams from the whitest kids you know was just on the show we have had jordan morris recently who talked about blade 1998 hell yeah we love blade the, if you're really enjoying the show patreon all kinds of bonus episodes <laughs> uh, thank you <laughs> Some great bonus episodes over there. Uh, Mark Rennie and John Flynn from Two Old Queens were just on the show to talk about the gayest horror movie ever made, according to our guest at least, which may not surprise you to find that they picked Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Mm. So, a uh, very gay movie, cool. and, and we broke down exactly why uh, why it fits that bill. Love it. That's pretty much it. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>